What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to the Gravity Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Chris. Thank you for choosing to tune in today. Hey, folks, I'm excited about this continued conversation. How do you identify your foundations in life? How do you stay grounded amidst all the noise and chaos in this world? And we're hoping that the guests that we're bringing on and the topics that we're discussing is giving you the opportunity to pause and to sit there and turn inward yourself and decide what are my foundations? What are your core values? What are the things you live by that are that are not wor- you're not willing to compromise? There's a lot of things I think that that should be compromised in this world, but there's some that should not. And so I'm hoping that this space is creating that opportunity for you. Today's guest is going to help us in this endeavor. Danielle McKinley wears a lot of different hats. And actually, I had her husband on back on episode 76, Nick McKinley, CEO and founder of Deliver Fund, that cool hat you see me wearing right now. If you're watching on YouTube, if not, if you're listening, just envision it. Envision a cool hat on my head right now. I'm excited to hear from Danielle, though, because of the 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 perspective that she brings from being a family member of a military member, a family member of a CIA officer, right? I mean, she just has amazing um, perspective. And, and as you'll hear her say here in a second, her and Nick got married a little bit later in life, at least as compared to my wife and I. And I like the maturity that they brought to the relationship, more knowledge that I think has set them up for greater success. But before we get into that interview with Danielle, I want to talk about 484HERO. You've heard me talking about it over the last month. 484HERO is an organization that was founded by my friend Sierra in the aftermath of her husband, uh, Daniel McCartney, being killed in the line of duty as a Pierce County deputy. And Sierra got the idea of she wants to show appreciation towards law enforcement. So she started putting money on, on the books at a coffee stand, telling them to give out free coffee to cops. And now it's a national organization that's looking for coffee shops to partner. Coming up on January 8th, there's going to be Coffee with Dan, where police officers in a number of communities around our nation are going to be able to grab free coffee. It's going to be on Dan. It's paid for, and it's just a way to remember his legacy and to say thank you to our law enforcement officers. I also wanted to talk about the fact that I'm not policing anymore, folks. I think you've heard, heard Jamie and I talking about this. Instead, we're using our company Gravity Consulting and Training to train leadership principles, employee wellness, customer service, emotional intelligence to organizations of all types, uh, both the first responder, police, fire, uh, EMS, corrections, dispatch, but then also the business community. Sometimes my wife comes along with me and she shares what it was like to be married to me as a first responder. And uh, I cringe a little bit sometimes because... uh, Those aren't always the best of memories, but I think it's important for us to talk about because of what we experience as first responders. uh, It's hard on the family life and hearing her perspective is really important. So we're doing date nights, we're doing employee banquets, other training venues, other training uh, opportunities to train up our first responders and their families to help us do this job and do this family thing a whole lot better. Hey folks, with that, let's get into this interview with Danielle. Danielle McKinley, welcome to the Gravity Podcast. Thanks so much for having me. Hey, I appreciate your flexibility. I had to move the schedule around because I have some appointments today. You had to juggle the infestation of children or 
children colds and coughs and all that kind of stuff. I, I really appreciate you carving out the time to talk with me. Oh yeah, absolutely. Excited to have an adult conversation after the last couple of days. <laughs> you know, that's a perspective, adult conversation. My wife went out of town here probably about a decade ago and it was the first time I think I had been in charge since we had had four and I was praying for for two minutes of peace. I learned that going to the bathroom is actually like a moment of solitude because no one gets to follow you in there unless the the two year old figures out how to get through the locked door and then then you're in trouble. But well, if you're mommy, you don't even get that. So good for you. <laughs> hey, Danielle, for folks that don't know you, can you just introduce introduce yourself to the listeners? Yeah, absolutely. My name is Danielle McKinley. Uh, I wear many hats. I am, uh, I'm a wife. I'm a mom of two great kids, six and four. Um, I work for a research and business consulting firm that's based out on the East Coast that I've been with for about 14 years. Um, I've recently added horsemanship to my resume. Um, so lots going on. Um, but a very full and happy life. Awesome. I love it. So when did you, a part of why I wanted to ask you to, to be a guest on the show was that piece of, of spouse and specifically your husband served in a variety of different roles uh, from in, for the government, both in, in the air force and then also in CIA. When did you guys married or when did you guys even get together? Was it prior to all of that or was it in the middle of all of that? Did you go in eyes wide open? Like, I know what I'm getting into. I don't think you can ever really know what you're getting into until you're in, in it. Um, I have a lot of military in my family. My stepdad was a Navy corpsman. I have cousins that were an army. Um, so, and I grew up in the DC area. Okay. So kind of government work, military was pretty normalized. Um, Nick and I actually met after he left the pararescue teams. Okay. Um, he had been kind of a guy on a team at the agency when we met and he was transitioning into becoming um, a staffer. And so uh, I feel like I, I missed a lot of his learnings when he was in the military about kind of how to structure his life and what works and what doesn't work. Yeah. Um, so I feel like I had some benefit there that he understood kind of how things need to go for his own mental health and, and kind of was, he kind of was able to teach me instead of both of us learning at the same time. Yeah. Um, so we met, we dated while he was at the agency, which was a whole circus. Um, <laughs> especially since I didn't know at the beginning. Um, and then we got married the year that he left uh, and set out to, to start Deliver Fund, which I love your swag. Yes, I love this hat, actually. <laughs> um, so what, uh, you said so many things there that I'm interested in. Uh, you said, first of all, that he almost had the experience and the maturity to, to help you understand how to, you know, be in a relationship with a guy who'd been a pararescue man. What was that? What do you mean by, you know, what kind of experience did he have or what could he communicate to you as his girlfriend, his fiance that helped you in that process? So I think first and foremost is he learned that taking care of himself physically is a huge priority. So when we met, he was very much about um, kind of like 
biohacking and tracking his heart rate variability and prioritizing sleep. And he was very adamant about like eating really high quality foods. And, um, and I was, I think I was 29 when we met and, uh, I had lived in Texas for a few years. Like I had just moved back. I had all my friends in the DC area. I was very much about the social scene and like, I'm a pretty outgoing person. So my whole dating career had been like, bars and restaurants, let's go to shows and like lots of stimulus. And I think one of the great benefits of that level of maturity that he had gained was being able to confidently say like, those things don't work for me. And, um, and if, if that's what you want, like, that's okay, but that doesn't work for me. And I, I appreciated that degree of honesty early on. Um, and it was really good for me too. You know, it, it, I think saved me a few more years of being out on the party scene. And I'm not trying to suggest that our whole dating career was like sitting in a dark room, staring at each other. Like we still <laughs> did plenty of things, but they were more adult things. You know, we did a lot of physical activities together. We worked out a lot. Um, but I'm, I'm grateful that he learned that about himself and was able to communicate that. I think a lot of folks don't learn that about themselves. It's taken me, you know, between the Air Force and being a civilian police officer 25 years. And somewhere in the middle of there, I started figuring it out. But, but having that self-awareness of those activities don't work for me right? And, and you can even be married to someone who feels differently. And you know what? That's where you have the us, you know, we have the us time and you, you have the you time, right? And you go out and do those things that you love, go to concerts and have loud music. But for me, I'd rather be in a wine bar or a coffee shop, right? So until Ed Sheeran plays in a coffee shop, I'm not listening <laughs> to the guy, right? It's just, it's just, yeah. it's just because I'm not going to be in that huge stadium uh, setting. Cause that's not right for me. You said something else also there at the beginning description, you said, at first, I didn't know. Sometimes things in the movies aren't true, but it sounds like this one might be. At first, you didn't know he was part of the agency. So mm -hmm. like, how do you all of a sudden, you remember I told you I was a fishing guide? Well, that wasn't totally true. Yeah. <laughs> um, what you also don't see in the movies is all of the people around the the girlfriend chirping at them of this is bad. This guy, this, this is shady, you know? Uh, so we met and he had this very flimsy cover story. Um, and he was also on a, a, a deployment schedule that was 60 days. So 60 days gone, 60 days back. So he was gone a lot. And with this very lame cover story that I could tell wasn't quite right. But, but I also really liked him and it was early. So I didn't want to push too hard. And I had so many people around me in those first few months, like you are, you're going to end up in the trunk of a car somewhere. <laughs> like this guy's like dealing drugs or, or is married or, you know, something really weird is up. And I tried my best to be, um, very disciplined about what I shared and with whom, and I don't know, maybe after like four or five months, I, I was like, listen, we, we, 
I, I have to know like what the heck is going on here or we need to part ways because I, it, yeah. I, I just can't get more vulnerable with someone where I know that something's a little off. Yeah. And I think by that point, enough of a relationship was established that he was more comfortable to be open. Yeah, totally. I love that. Hey, let's get into your occupation. You said you work for an organization on the East Coast and on your LinkedIn profile, mm-hmm. it says you are a sales research geek. I don't know exactly if that's the technical term or <laughs> what does a sales research geek do? Yes. Uh, so I have worn, I, I've done many different things for the company that I work for. Um, I started in sales. So our company sells research and advisory services to different executives within B2B businesses. So think, you know, we have a group that sells and serves chief marketing officers and chief legal officers and chief finance officers. The program that I've always been sells and serves support for chief revenue officers. So people who, you know, own the number at big publicly traded companies that are trying to keep up with the advancements in technology and how to drive efficiency and deliver on the number and make sure that the stock is profitable and all of those things. And so I started selling access to that support for chief revenue officers. Then when we got married and decided we wanted to have kids, I didn't want to carry a number the stress of like quarterly quotas. I just didn't want that. Um, So I moved over to the research side of the business, like actually conducting the research, conducting interviews, writing research, delivering webinars, speaking at, you know, big sales kickoffs. I kind of became part of the product. It was a huge pay cut. It was also the same year that we got married. And the same year that Nick left the agency. Oh, wow. So, oh, and we moved from the of, East Coast a little bit to of New transition. Mexico. <laughs> a little stressful. <laughs> um, but I loved that part of the business too. Yeah. And then when the kids got a little bit older, I I had the bug. I missed, I missed the excitement of sales. Yeah. And my company is so gracious. They've always supported any move that I wanted to make. So I came back onto the sales side of the business about a year and a half ago. I love it. And uh, you, how do you balance that? I mean, you, you launched into you guys starting a family in the midst of all this stuff as well. How do you, how do you balance all of these different responsibilities, all these different hats that you wear? I mean, we have good days and we have bad days. (laughs) I'm not here to suggest that we've cracked the nut on how to manage all of these things. But I do think we share a common mindset of looking at our life. So not only all of my hats, but all of my husband's hats too. Yeah. And we approach it as a team. Yes. So we very frequently, probably once or twice a week, get together. We look at our schedules that are coming up, who needs to be where, who can take what. We're in constant communication about not only our personal lives, but our professional lives. And instead of approaching it in two lanes, I think we approach it as like one master set of responsibilities. Yes, And that has helped. Then I don't feel like we're competing against each other. We're 
we're looking at all of the things and attacking it together. Yeah, I think that is wise. The, the 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 communication and then carving out the time to connect with each other like that. My wife and I do that at least once a week, sometimes multiple times, just depending on the week, right? If it's a light week, sometimes we'll just do it on Sunday afternoon. And when it's a heavier week, we'll have to do it midweek as well. And then we share calendars too, just because I've I've come to live by the calendar. If it's not on the calendar, I will probably forget. What? Oh, 100%. I also feel like um, it helps me be more empathetic knowing what my husband is doing during the days. So if he comes home stressed, I'm not, I'm not taking it personally because I have some visibility into what's going on. And the same is true for him. You know, if he knows that I have a really heavy week, um, there's a little more grace than can be extended than if we just don't have visibility into what happens during working hours. Completely. You said something, if he comes home looking stressed, what does that look like? How do you know, Hey, Nick is Nick had a rough day or a rough week. He's quiet. He's, um, more stoic looking the communication communication style. I joke. I'm like, Oh, general, general Ridge hand has made an appearance. Um, (laughs) he goes into kind of like, I almost think maybe from military days, like a leadership role of you need to do this and you need to do this and this needs to get done. And when I see that, and that took a few years, especially when kids came into the picture, um, I used to take that very personally and and I used to get upset about it. And then my attitude would go down the toilet. And now all of a sudden, within the span of 30 seconds, the whole mood of the house is sideways. And so we've worked hard on addressing it right when it happens. So the conversation might sound something like, I know that you're not meaning to come through this way, but this is kind of how it's landing. So I'm going to try and not take it personally, but if you also could be aware that I'm noticing, like that would be awesome too. And then it's like, what was building kind of gets a pin put in it quick. And that's been helpful for us. And that's important. I'm I'm going to speak from the, the standpoint of being prior military, being prior law enforcement is sometimes I didn't even realize it. I didn't realize the way I was coming off the air I was creating in my home, right? Because I am processing whatever happened today or this week. And, and in some of the more, uh, more recent conversations my wife and I have had, we, she has told me what she saw on me and, and it's like, man, I wish I would have realized, and I don't fault her for not telling me. I don't think I was very approachable. Right. And we didn't have that, that language in marriage, in, in any significant relationship. I think we have to have this language that what you just said was wonderful there. This is the way this is coming off. And this is how it's, how it's hitting me because I'm just sitting there thinking when I hear that, because my wife and I have started talking in similar terms right now, when I hear that it causes me to, to stop, to pause and go, all right, what can I do to, to change this? Because obviously my attitude is projecting and maybe it's exactly how I feel, or maybe it's totally unintended, but now I'm equipped with the knowledge to do something about it. I I think, I mean, and it goes both ways too, because in our early years of marriage, I didn't have that language either. And, and I would take it very personally and then I would shut down and close off. And then it would just drive that wedge 
even further apart. And you know, when you have little kids, it's very easy to fill the hours. It's not like we're just sitting with our backs to each other in the living room with nothing to do. Completely. And I think it's very easy to allow that to snowball. And so we've, we've really made a conscious effort to let's try and get in front of it quickly. Um, and I, I'm, I don't know this for a fact, but I'm hopeful that we allow our kids to witness all of this. Yes. I mean, even if you're not intentionally allowing your kids to witness, they're bearing witness to everything that goes on and they're so observant. Um, and so I'm hoping that they're learning how to communicate like that just by virtue of watching. And that also is helps me keep myself in check. Like, yes. what do you want them learning? Do you want them learning stonewalling in their relationships? Or do you want them learning like, hey, like, this is not an attacking thing. I'm not saying you're doing something wrong, but this is kind of how it's hitting me. And like, can we, between the two of us kind of work together? Um, so it, that has been a tremendous asset, I think, just being able to, to kind of hedge that off at the pass. That's a really good point. Modeling the behavior is more impactful than anything else. You can sit your kids down and have the talk about whatever the talk is over and over again. But from, from our experience, our kids are going to do what we do. So it's kind of like you're driving in traffic and all of a sudden your four-year-old in the backseat goes, come on, to some <laughs> of the drivers. And you're like, yes, where'd they that learn that from? <laughs> they got that one from me, right? And, and even I have two adult daughters and I've watched them and the things that they've done really well is the stuff we modeled, but we really didn't have to talk about just because we were doing it all the time. And some of the things that I was trying to talk with them about, they just didn't want to listen to. And it's taken more time because I wasn't necessarily modeling it. And it's like, mm -hmm. oh man, why, why can't they write a book about this or something? Right. So that it's just totally easy to do. Hey, you wrote a, a or I can't remember if you wrote the post or if you reposted it on LinkedIn a while back. And it talked about the dichotomy of accountability and sensitivity. And you mm. you said that there were there were folks in your career that uh, because they cared about you, they held you accountable. To tell me how that how that hit your heart. Yeah, um, it was actually Nick and um, Mike Sorelli did a, an article on on those themes, and it I didn't I didn't know that it was being published, uh, but it really struck a nerve with me because because it's true. I I feel I feel so old saying this, but I feel like when I was a young and up and comer in the workforce, it was different. But it was different. I mean, if you were not performing, there was not this like, okay, well, you know, we're gonna try these three or four things and try those four. If it, it, it was this is these are the three things we want you to do differently. These are the kind of fence posts we're going to put up to measure progress and you either do or you don't do. Yeah. And I'm really grateful for that kind of tough love. Um, because I felt that people believed in me enough to, to tell me that I was better than what I was producing and giving me an opportunity to show that and letting me know that if I was unwilling to show that, that I could be invited to succeed elsewhere. Um, <laughs> and you know, I, I shared some of the things that that we did early on. I remember when I was probably six months in um, to my job, my boss, three layers above my boss. So my boss's boss's boss would get on the phone with me at night after she put her kids to bed at like 9 p.m. We did this three times a week and we would do objection handling. 
And she would, I would be trying to position something to her and she would fight me and we, and, and it was brutal and it was after hours and it was tough, but it made me better. Oh, wow. And now that I have little kids, I can only imagine what it took for her to do that. Um, and I'm so grateful for that. Yeah. What an investment in you, right? As, yeah. a, as a mentor to mentee relationship. Have you had other similar relationships in your career uh, or or maybe reversed where you were mentoring someone else? So one of my favorite parts of my job is we have um, sales development reps and they are typically right out of college. It's their first, you know, real job. Um, It's a tough job. It is cold calling executives all day long. It is researching who's in charge of a function, who owns the budget and sending cold emails and cold calling and getting hung up on. I mean, it's a pretty, it's a tough first job. Um, And I see people treat their sales development reps in different ways. And some people treat them like an assistant. And don't put in the effort to build a relationship. And I think it's so short-sighted because their job is to set meetings for me. So if they don't like me and I'm nasty to them and I'm not investing in them and helping them grow and helping them be successful, I'm only shooting myself in the foot. Um, So I I love working with SDRs and helping them kind of grow in their current role, but then thinking about what do you want to do? Like sit in on my calls, listen to how this goes. Is this something that you love or does this make you cringe inside and you would never want to do this, but maybe, maybe marketing is interesting to you or maybe the research path. And I have the luxury of having been at this company for so long that I know lots of people so I can make lots of introductions for those folks. Um, And I love that part of the job of, of, helping people be successful in kind of a grunt role. Yeah, I love what you were saying there because it gets back to that accountability versus sensitivity. The fact that we can hold people accountable and care about them. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be a this or that. We can care about people as human beings and... And then sometimes they they get the opportunity to go be successful somewhere else. I like what you said that really nice. Way and of you don't have to be a jerk. Like accountability is not mean. Yeah. Accountability is love. It's like disciplining your kids. Yeah. I don't discipline my kids because I'm a mean person that enjoys, you know, making their lives miserable. I discipline them so that they can grow and be successful and contribute and have joy. Because if they if they don't grow and 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 learn how to be among people, they're going to be miserable. Yes. And I, I think that's true of a professional environment too. What are you doing? I think I remember seeing, I'm not totally sure on this. I thought I remember you see, seeing you do a different LinkedIn post talking about the kids know that they need to do chores before it's playtime. So talk, yeah. about, t- talk, talk about how you're raising up the future generation in that regard. Well, there's only two of them. So I don't know about the, the whole future generation, but we, um, I think it's it's similar to what I was talking about in our marriage of approaching things as a team. Yeah, it, we approach things as a team in our family. So cleaning house, as an example, is a team sport. Like we all live here, we all contribute to the mess. So we're all going to to clean up our space and to make our environment nice. I was just out feeding the horses this morning with the kids because they're home from school sick. And it's cold. I mean, we live in Montana. There's snow on the ground. It's windy. 
the horses have to eat more to stay warm in the winter. So feeding them takes a good hour. Um, and so they were whining. And so we had a conversation around, you get to eat, you know, you like to ride these horses. So if we don't do what we need to do, which sometimes is uncomfortable, it's not fair. It's not fair to anybody. And so, I mean, they whine and complain and fuss like any kids do, but they're learning how to function as a team and, and also how to dress appropriately for the conditions. (laughs) Yeah. How did you guys decide to get into, I can't remember what you said at the very beginning. I don't think you said, or, or, you know, a new horse trainer, but, uh, but caring for horses is not like a, Hey, maybe I just want to do this. I mean, this isn't a hobby. You just said it takes a lot of work to care for, to care for horses. How did you guys decide to get into being horse owners? We, well, so we kind of fell backwards into an incredible opportunity because horses also are extremely expensive. Um, and we are not in a position to, to take that on right now. Um, but I have a good girlfriend who has 30 acres, about a quarter mile from our house. I separately have another girlfriend who grew up on a ranch in Colorado and trained horses. And so really knows what she's doing. And then there's us with curious minds and the ability to help. And so we have these three families together. Um, and it's like this little commune of horsemanship that's that's going on. So we have one of the three horses that are out there. Um, she's like 30. She's on her way out. Uh, but we said, we'll take over her expenses and keep her comfortable as long as she's not in pain or having anything going on. And and we'll take over her vet bills and all the things. Um, so we rotate, you know, who does feeding, who does groundwork. I'm probably out there four or five times a week, cleaning hooves and tossing hay and, and using it as an opportunity to teach the kids. Horses are not about showing up at a barn where the horse is saddled and riding for an hour and then jumping off and leaving everyone else to do the crap. Yeah. Horses are about shoveling poop, tossing hay, mixing up their grains, brushing, cleaning, like get comfortable with that first. And then I'll talk about investing in, in the fun part. Yeah. Um, so it's been so much fun and, and so good for us as a family to be out there working together. You, I don't, your, your future, uh, son, daughter-in-laws, um, are going to have an uphill battle between what Nick does for a living. And it sounds like your ability to dig into stuff and uh, your expectation of character and whatnot. There's a lot of stress going on here. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, I don't know. I think um, we're lucky enough to live in a pretty amazing place where this type of character of work hard, have integrity, you know, be a, a a man of your word, a woman of your word. It's pretty normal where we live. Yeah. I don't think it's just our expectations of our kids. It's their teachers' expectations. It's their friends' parents' expectations. They're seeing it modeled. I am. I know that that's not the norm. Um, I am incredibly grateful that we are able to raise our kids where we we do. Um, it's not lost on me that, that they're, they're seeing this, not just from us, yeah. uh, which is really, really cool. It's really critical as a, as a parent, the village is so important. Uh, my wife and I have gone through different seasons when I was deployed, right? 
she depended on the network of friendships, especially when we didn't have family nearby us, to step up and support her. And then just think about, it doesn't matter whether someone's military or not, whether they're a first responder or not, just there are so many different life circumstances where where we depend on community to step up and support us. Totally. And we did not have that either uh, in places that we've lived prior to here. And we, we haven't had family nearby since we've had kids. Um, we had a rough go in New Mexico. Uh, Albuquerque is, is just a rough place. We didn't have good community. Um, but up here in this little valley in Montana, it's, I feel like I went back in time 50 years. You know, when we first moved in, our neighbors brought us a banana bread. She baked us cookies for the first snow. Um, it's, it's just people give a crap about their neighbors and their environment and their community. And it makes raising up kids to give a crap a lot easier when it's not solely up to us to, to demonstrate and show them that. Yeah. Hey, I, I know I had the opportunity to interview Nick uh, about a year ago or so. I think it was episode 76. If you don't mind just touching on Deliver Fund, because I think it's a, I, yeah. I love what they're doing, especially with my background in law enforcement doing child crimes. Uh, so what does that look like? Well, first of all, what is Deliver Fund and what do they do? And then I'll ask the follow-up question. Yeah. So Deliver Fund is a tech organization that has a set of proprietary tools that they've built to collect known information about human traffickers and make all of that data available to law enforcement to shortcut um, their ability to hone in on, on bad guys. Yeah. Um, it's It has evolved as an organization, as most companies do. Um, pre-pandemic, they did a lot of like in-person training for law enforcement. That still happens and still exists. But I think Nick recognized that this problem is so massive that if we're going to have impact at scale, this technology piece is, is how that's going to happen. Um, so it's it's been really neat and also extremely challenging um, to build an organization to, you know, watch its evolution and its growth and um, but I'm so proud of him. I mean, talk about like carving a wheel out of stone. Um, he didn't know how to start a business. Like he had ideas of what he wanted the business to do, but it's, um, it's been incredible to see what he's been able to do with it. Yeah. Hey, you've already touched on this a little bit, just asking about how you and Nick connect. You talked about schedules and that's good. That's the details I feel like of life, right? How do we support each other? And how do you, like you said, how do we operate in the one big lane together? How do you guys connect though, especially with, with the significance of both of your jobs and the, the, the weight of being a parent? I mean, that's, that's huge, right? I'm, I have a, I feel a lot of responsibilities with my daughters. How do you guys connect though? Because you still have to be husband and wife. Otherwise you're going to get on the other side of this parenting thing and you're going to look at each other and you're going to be strangers. Yeah, uh, I think that's so true. The other side of the parenting thing and being strangers and the other part of it is turning into like um, business associates. Yeah. Like what strategies are working in your business and what strategies are working in our business? And I think we we enjoy connecting on both of those two categories and we've in different seasons gotten lost 
in having all of our conversations kind of fall into those two buckets. Um, the, the horse thing has been really good for us as a couple. Um, we're like working together and like we built a fence, like building a fence sucks. I don't know if you've ever built a fence <laughs> before, haven't. but it is no. like, it took three weekends. It was a huge endeavor, but, but like we were making something together. I was learning things from him that I didn't know that he knew how to do. So there was like this immense feeling of, of pride, like, wow, you, you know how to do all these different things. I didn't know, you know, he taught me how to drive a tractor. Like then he's proud of me. It just generates a lot of, of warmth for us doing physical work together and learning from each other in that way. Um, I think this is going to sound so dorky, but I do think it's important to understand love languages Mm -hmm. and, and how, how you can demonstrate to your spouse, like in ways that they're going to receive. So Nick's love language is very much acts of service. Like if if there's something that needs, like a cardboard needs to be broken down. I know it'll take me five minutes to do it. I don't really feel like doing it, but that's going to touch him in a much more significant way than if I like, you know, show words of affirmation. Um, for me, it's different for me. Like I have had to kind of coach him. Any entrepreneur will appreciate this. Like, don't come at me with all the bad information because I get flooded very quickly. And I'm like, Oh, so now he's very thoughtful about saying, but the good news is, and then I can move on. So I, I, I think for us, those are things that work, but it's probably different in different relationships. I think that love language, you said it kind of sounds dorky. It, it only sounds dorky because I'm guessing you've known of the love languages for a while. <laughs> okay. But for here's the deal. So many folks don't. So many folks do not understand that, that the way you uh, hear and feel love, if you replicate that for your spouse, there's a good chance you're going to miss the mark. Uh, my wife... Uh, she is quality time together. That's that's what she wants. Uh, physical touch. She got plenty of that breastfeeding our four daughters, <laughs> right? Like she don't want anyone to touch her. Period. And yeah. I, I have to be mindful of that. Like you know, unless it's a back massage, the woman doesn't want me touching her. Yep. Uh, and I want words of affirmation, and I didn't even realize it. Like she would get home, like if she was running errands, she'd get home, and I would start giving her the laundry list of the chores I did. Why? Why am I telling her about? Because I wanted her to just go, wow, hun, thank you. And it was in yeah. it was in my peripheral vision. I didn't realize, I didn't even realize it. Like I'd be, we call it peacocking. I'd be like walking around. <laughs> do you see the fact that there's no dishes on the sink right now? That was me. I am man. Uh, yes. But once we understood that, and as we continue to understand it, because I think as humans, it's easy to forget things, especially if we fall out of the discipline of practicing them, practicing them. Uh, we, as we, you know, remember it and reinforce it and continue to practice it, we connect, we connect. So I think it's zero dork, although you do classify <laughs> yourself as being a sales research geek. So if you want to call yourself yes. a love language dork, I think that is a, a badge of honor to wear because of the fact that it's going to lead to a richer marriage. Well, thanks. I mean, it, it definitely is important to know kind of how to strike the right chord, especially with families who, who are working, who have high stress jobs, who have kids, like you don't have the luxury of like hours and hours and hours to connect during the day. It's just, it's just 
practically not accessible. So if you can take advantage of the 10 minutes to, to kind of like strike the gong in the right way, um, it makes all the difference. Yeah. Are you guys in the discipline of dating each other, whether it's weekly, monthly, quarterly, do you guys just get time where it's just the two of you sharing a meal without mommy and daddy being said to you? Man, we try. <laughs> it, um, it's, it's expensive. And so I think we've had to ratchet down our expectations of what date night looks like. Yes. Um, Nick's parents have like the most model marriage you can ever imagine. They, they just, they're just absolutely amazing people. And they've raised four great kids who all have strong marriages. And they always talk about the importance of dating. And his mom will tell me, even if it's just a walk in the neighborhood yes. for 10 minutes, that's a date. So she's helped me understand that a date doesn't have to be, okay, we have a sitter and we're going to go out to dinner. And like, frankly, we're not the kind of people who feel great about spending a hundred dollars on a fancy dinner anyway. Um, So it's been helpful to kind of redefine like what date looks like. We, um, we build puzzles. We have learned that in date night, a, uh, a spirit of competition is not great for us. I bought the board game Risk in which his military prowess totally slaughtered me. And that was not a fabulous date night. But puzzles and cooperative work uh, are cheap and easy. Um, We have gone away a couple of times for a weekend and just, you know, forked out the money to have someone stay with the kids or have the in-laws come. That has been worth its I mean, every time we grunt about how much money it's going to cost, because it is, I mean, it's a lot of money, but it's always worth it to get away for a day or two. Um, And we save for it and plan for it. But we've done that twice now, and that's been great. I think it's just about expectation and definition of where and when are we going to date each other? I love you redefining it, because my wife and I, especially when we were E3s in the Air Force, right, we couldn't afford nothing. Right. And so putting the kids to bed and, and threatening them within an inch of their life. No, not really. You don't actually, <laughs> threaten kids, but just putting them to bed, getting them, you know, investing in that teaming up, especially if you have more than one teaming up, getting them to bed and then making up a charcuterie board or, or mm-hmm. gr- grilling some steaks or doing whatever it is that, you know, is going to connect with you and your spouse and then watch a movie together or listen to music or do whatever the heck you want to do. Go out and build a fence if you want to build a fence. Uh, but just having, yeah, my wife and I, we found that we we have to redefine what that word date means. And 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 given your um kind of constituency with military and law enforcement, I'll put out this too because this did impact us, um, especially when the babies were little. I was exhausted by the time we put them to bed. <laughs> the idea of like staying up for another two or three hours was like a hard pass for me. And my husband, with the career that he had, where often he was working at night, his his circadian rhythm is different than mine. So he, I mean, he'll often stay up until 11 o'clock at night and I'm out at eight. So figuring out in different seasons where to put that time um, also can be helpful so that one person is not kind of suffering. <laughs> Uh, so we would often carve out like an hour to have coffee together in the morning, yes. um, 
Or if I had like a slow work day and he had a meeting cancel, you know, he'd text me, Hey, can can you run up for lunch real quick? Uh, So I think being flexible with schedules and that circadian rhythm piece can often be helpful. Yeah. Hey, I don't, at this point, I can't imagine you having time. I love reading. Do you have time to read amongst every, or listen to audio books? Do you have a time to take in that kind of content? You know, honestly, I could make the time to do it and I probably should. <laughs> um, I am more of a podcast gal. Okay. So I am, I have things on in the background while I'm doing chores, making dinner. Um, it's, actually kind of a nice forecasting mechanism that I have the kids while I'm doing those things because it forces me to listen to content that is appropriate for them too. Yeah. Not that I'm listening to little kid books, but I'm listening to, you know, news sources that aren't going to have a bunch of hysteria or cursing that are going to make me all riled up. Yes. Um, so I do consume most of my content probably via podcast these days. I think days. a lot of people are, right? And I, I love it because it's I, I get the meal, if you will. Instead of it being an audiobook that's nine hours long, I get it in about an hour or less typically, right? And uh, typically it gives me something really to to chew on. It gives me some mm-hmm. kind of you know perspective, whether I agree or disagree with it, to kind of go, hmm, what do I think about that? Yeah. And I think it's okay to expose your kids to, to news and to, to the hard things that our world and our country is going through. And I have really great conversations. I mean, Nick too, with our six-year-old, with our four-year-old about cultural issues and like, let's dialogue about it. Let's talk about it so that you're not vulnerable, um, that you're not hearing some of these things for the first time through a lens that I don't know or may agree with. So it's um, this whole like listening to podcasts that are not like crazy um, has helped our family have some really good discussions too. That's awesome. Talking about our, here's the deal. Your kids are going to get exposed to it. You you could send them to a private Christian school. I'll tell you what, done it. Your kids are still going to get exposed to it. So if you aren't having these these meaty rubber meets the road conversations with your kids, then it's going to be Tommy in the bathroom picking his nose, telling your kid about it. And you're not going to like what Tommy has to say. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's kind of that like accountability and love conversation too. Like I, I hope that we're showing them like we, we respect you. You're six and you're four, but we respect you enough to have these conversations. Like you're not babies, you have brains and you're seeing things and you're hearing things. And like, let's, let's talk about it. Let's get it out there. And I'm always so impressed with their openness and like, they're, they're hungry to have those conversations and they see examples in their world that they'll then bring, bring up like, Oh, there's what we were talking about earlier happening. And I, I just think it's important. Like kind of regardless of your ideologies to respect your kids enough to have these conversations with them. Like they're, they're prepared and they're, they're ready and they're hungry to learn. And you're laying the foundation that this is what we do as a family. Because I'll tell you what, when you try to launch something, when you're, when your child is 16, they aren't always open to this new thing that you want to do. Whereas when we, when we establish it when they're young and it's just what we do as a family, when they get 16, it's just that we have great conversation we engage in dialogue in this family. It's what we do versus trying to get them to open up 
later in life is is really challenging. Yeah. You also open yourself to some like really hilarious moments. Our six-year-old was listening to something and they were talking about rising taxes. And she said, but mommy, taxation is theft. <laughs> and we, we <laughs> rolled like, yeah, okay, you, you, you got that one down. <laughs> That's great. I love the things that our kids say. Hey, Danielle, uh, if folks want to pick up on more of, uh, of what you're doing and the, the wisdom that you're pushing out, where, how are ways that people can follow you? The best way is LinkedIn. Um, I don't have any other social media. Uh, that's a whole conversation for another day, probably. Um, but LinkedIn, I am very active. I post a lot of content related to sales strategy and go to market, what's going on in the world of tech and how to build a lasting, sustainable growth plan. Um, but I post a lot of family stuff too, things that we're learning, things that we're trying, uh, some good horse humor. So Danielle McKinley on LinkedIn is the best way to find me. Um, and yeah, love to have connections and, and meet more people. I love it, Danielle. Well, time is my greatest commodity. I can't make more of this stuff. You've given me a lot of yours. Thank you so much. Thank you. Appreciate the time. Have a great day. You too. Wow, folks, what did you think of that conversation with Danielle? I didn't know her. I just, I'd been seeing some of her posts on LinkedIn and it drew me in. I, I was like, this woman has perspective. This woman has wisdom that is important for the rest of us to hear. And I just really enjoyed that conversation with her. I really appreciate her being willing to come on the show. Hey folks, Jamie and I want to hear from you. We're constantly trying to make this thing better. There's a few different ways for you to communicate back to us. First and foremost, please follow us on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. That will cause the next episode to come up. Please share with a friend. If you're listening and it's helping you, please share this with a friend so that they can also uh, be benefit from it as well. If you're listening on Apple or Spotify, you can also rate and review us. There's five stars waiting on the main page. We'd really appreciate a five-star rating. That will increase our viewability on those platforms. However, you've heard me say it, folks, those are your stars. They aren't mine. They're, they're yours. So if we haven't earned five stars instead, shoot me an email at chris at gravityct.com. Let me know how to make it better. Future Marriage Monday topics or guests for me to interview. Folks, we only get to live this life once. Let's go out and take care of the people in our tribe. Take care of each other. God bless.